And we'll read verses 1 through 14. And uh, the text this morning will be verses 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in His name, who are born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Amen. Let's pray again. Our Heavenly Father, we pray that by Your Spirit, the Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ, You'd give us understanding as we begin to open this Gospel You've given to us through Your servant John. We pray that You would convict us of our sins, encourage us in Christ, and help us to love and obey You and give You glory as a result. We pray in the name of Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Who is Jesus? Uh, That is the most important question you can ever ask yourself. At least I can't think of a more important question myself. Who is Jesus Christ? And the reason it's so important is because how you answer that question and whether or not you believe the truth of the answer that the Bible gives to us will determine where you spend eternity with God in heaven, in the new heavens and new earth, forever, or hell, forever. And so it's most important that we understand what the question is asking and what the biblical answer is to that question. You know, Jesus, in His ministry, was walking along the way. He turned to His disciples at one point. Matthew records that for us in Matthew chapter 16. And Jesus asked, He said, Who do men say that I am? And Peter steps forward and he says, well, some say you are Elijah, some say you're Jeremiah or the prophet. And then Jesus asks, who do you say that I am? And then Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And then Peter said to, or Jesus said to Peter, blessed are you, Simon. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And so that's a whole can of theology and doctrine right there that we could open this morning, but don't have time to. But the point is, Peter got the answer right, and the 
right answer, not only given, but also the ability to believe it, comes not from within ourselves, but from God, and more specifically, the Spirit of God, as we find out later in John's Gospel and elsewhere in the Bible. See, this is what the the Gospels are all about. In fact, this is what the Word of God primarily is all about, is revealing to us Jesus Christ, who He is, His person, but also why He came. We talked about His work, His person and work. And so that's what this Gospel, the Gospel of John, is all about. Um, It's about the self-disclosure of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what I mean is that Jesus came to reveal Himself to men. And also he came to perform a very specific work. Now, there are four Gospels in the Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The first three are often called the Synoptic Gospels because they are very similar in what they cover and how they reveal uh, the life of our Lord Jesus to us, his death, burial, and resurrection. But John's Gospel is a little different. John gets a little bit of a different type of treatment. And men have tried to understand that. But, but when you read John's Gospel, there are many things in it that are not covered in the other three Gospels. And so some say, well, John obviously was trying to cover what they didn't cover. And perhaps that's true. Under the inspiration of the Spirit of God who gave us this book, maybe that's part of it. Others point to, for instance, like Irenaeus, he was an early church father after the Apostles. He said that John was written to combat a false teaching by some guy named Serenthus. And this guy taught that Jesus was merely human, possessed by the Spirit of the Christ at His baptism, only to relinquish that Spirit on the cross. And so Jesus was not fully God according to that false teaching. And so John's Gospel deals heavily, theologically, with proving that Jesus is God. But John tells us, doesn't he? He tells us at the end of his his account of the life of Christ. He tells us in chapter 20 and verse 31 why he wrote this Gospel. And this is the inspired reason. It says, These things are written that you may believe That Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His name. So John wrote this Gospel so that we might have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We might believe that He is the Son of God, who He said He was, who the Scriptures would say that He is. And that by having faith in Him and believing and trusting in Him, we have life, life eternal, that Jesus so frequently talked about in His ministry. And so this morning I want us to look at the first five verses of John's introduction, also called his prologue, to his account of the Lord Jesus Christ, his life, his death, his burial, and resurrection, even his ascension. And so I want us to understand uh, what John is saying here, especially in these first five verses, because if you're like me, you've, you've read this many times, or maybe you've never read it, but you read it. And you kind of gloss over the first five verses and you continue. You you, you want to get to verse 14. Because that's where it begins. The incarnation where Jesus takes upon human flesh. But John has something very important for us to to see here. And God Himself through, through John. 
And so we're going to look at what he says. We're going to talk about this word. It says there in verse 1, in the beginning was the, the word. And so we're going to talk about this word and his relation to God, his relation to creation, and his relation to us, to me, and to you. Because that's what he talks about right here. So let's talk about for a moment John's description of the word, this word in relation to God. That's in the first two verses there. It says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And so, who is this word? What is this word? It's a person. If you notice, there's the pronoun throughout this first chapter. It's talking about him and his. Uh, Verse 2, it says, he was in the beginning with God. In verse 4, it says, in him was life. And so, he's talking about a person. Well, you know perhaps who this person is in verse 14. It says, and the word became flesh. And He dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John the Baptist would look at Jesus as an adult, and he would point to Him, and he would say, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The Word is Jesus Christ. Jesus the Messiah. Jesus the Anointed One of God. But John reveals more. He tells us here that this Word existed way before creation. And if there's ever an understatement, I just made one. Because of what we'll see. But notice His relation to God in verse 1. In the beginning. Does that sound familiar? Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning was the Word. And so this Word, Jesus, was in existence at the beginning. The Word was with God. And that phrase there, with God, literally says towards the face of God and can mean or refer to a friendship, an intimacy. He was intimately acquainted with God. And so he was with God at the beginning. And so John is telling us that this Word existed before creation. In verse 3 it says, All things were made through Him. Without Him nothing was made that was made. And so this Word existed before creation. We talk about the pre-existence of Christ. His pre-existence. And so that's what John is putting before us. And this is the teaching of Scripture elsewhere, right? Even in John's Gospel, Jesus is having that conversation in John chapter 8 with the Pharisees. And um, it's a very intense conversation. He's revealing who He is. They don't like what He's saying because it points to their sin and kind of um, rattles their little world of authority and so forth. And, And Jesus finally says, Before Abraham was, I am. And they got upset. Because when Jesus said ego eimi in the Greek, it points back all the way to Exodus 3, where Moses is at the burning bush, and God manifests Himself to Moses. 
And Moses asked the question, who shall I say sent me? God says, tell them I am sent you. That's talking about God's being, His self-existence, His eternality. The God who is. And so Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. In John 17, remember that high priestly prayer in the garden before Jesus went to the cross? He's praying to His heavenly Father. And in verse 5, He prays this, And now, O Father, glorify Me together with Yourself. So that right there, that seems very, very prideful, right? If He's just a human, that's, that's, that's bad. It's out of the question. Because God says elsewhere in Scripture, I am the Lord your God. He says, besides me, there is no other. I will share my glory with no man. It's inappropriate. But Jesus, the preexistent one, who had taken upon human flesh, He prayed that the Father would glorify Him with the Father. He said, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. And in Isaiah 9, 6, Hundreds of years before Jesus would step foot on this earth, it was prophesied about Him, the Messiah, that His name would be Wonderful, Counselor, and what? Mighty God. And so in Revelation 22, 13, we learn more about this preexistence. It is an eternal preexistence. Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning in the end, the first and the last. All of this is to say that Jesus is divine. That this word about whom John writes, He is, was, and always will be divine. God. That's the point. And so it took years after the it took years for, for the church after the apostles. To, to articulate this and put it into words and into writing. There was this struggle. There was actually a false teacher, Arius, who came along in the 300s. He said about Jesus, about this word, he said there was a time when he was not. That caused a stir in the Christian church. And so about 300 or so, if I remember correctly, pastors and theologians came together at Nicaea, and they debated, you know, supposedly St. Nick was there. You know, we call him Santa Claus today. He's a real person. Um, and he engaged in, in this debate. There are rumors about him online. I don't think he punched Arius in the face. Maybe he slapped him. I don't know. But at that council, they, they condemned what Arius had taught. And so we have today the Nicene Creed. And so this is very important. If you want to know whether or not someone is orthodox, this is where you begin. What do you believe about God? Do you believe in the Trinity? Who is Jesus? You see, and it's very important. Now this should have come to no surprise to the Pharisees and the Sadducees in Jesus' day because we've already saw that in Isaiah 9-6 it said that His name would be eternal God. But in John 5 and verse 18 it says the Jews sought all the more to kill Him, Jesus, because He not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was His Father making Himself equal with God. 
So Jesus is on record in the Bible making himself equal with God. He is divine. He is God. He is the second person of the Godhead. We believe in the Trinity. Not three gods. One God existing in three persons. The same in substance, equal in power and glory, as our catechism puts it. John not only tells us about Jesus and his relation to God, but he also here informs us about this word in relation to creation. Again, in verse 3, it says, All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In Colossians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul speaks to this because there were those false teachers in that area denying the deity of Christ. Perhaps it was an early form of Gnosticism that said matter is evil, spirit is good. But nevertheless, Paul is giving his Christology, the doctrine of Christ, and he says in Colossians 1, in verse 17, and he is before all things. I mean, in space and time, he's before all things, he existed before all things, and it's true as well that in preeminence, he is before all things. And in him, all things consist. Before that, Paul says, for by him, all things were created that are in heaven and that are on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through Him and for Him. That's what the Bible says about Jesus. In Ephesians 3 and verse 9, we are told there it is God who created all things through Jesus Christ. So as we looked at the account of creation in Genesis 1 last week, God spoke and it was done. Let there be light. There is light. And so God Himself is the Creator. God the Father is probably the one. I know He is because Scripture says it in John 5. And it also says it's about Jesus Himself is the one who is involved in creation. And of course the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And so the triune God is the Creator. He is the one who was involved with creating all things out of nothing and all very good. Again, Ephesians 3.9 says about Jesus that it was through Jesus that all things were made. But Christ is not only set forth as the Creator in the Bible, He's also set forth as the One who provides. He is the God of providence. He governs all His creatures and all of His actions. Again, Colossians 1.17, it says there that He is before all things, and in Him all things consist. All things are held together. You know, scientists, they, they look through the microscope and they see what they see, but they can't account for what they see. They can't explain why things are the way they are, but Colossians 1.16 says so. It's through Christ Himself that He holds all things together. In 1 Corinthians 8.6, Paul says, one, There is one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we for Him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, 
and through whom we all live. So God is the creator and he is the sustainer and it is through the agency of Christ even that men continue to live today. In him, Paul said in Acts 17, in him we live and move and have our being. And so all of these things that I'm talking about, these are God's attributes, the things that, that um, describe God, the things that tell us who He is, part of His being. And you have to understand uh, that there are some attributes that belong only to God, and there are some attributes that we share with God, to a lesser level, of course. Um, there are communicable attributes, and incommunicable, that's the way theology divides them, and talking about the incommunicable attributes, these are things about God that we do not share with Him. He is the Creator, He is all-powerful, He's omnipotent, and the Scripture says that Christ Himself upholds all things by the word of His power, Hebrews 1.3, God is unchangeable, He is immutable, in Hebrews 13, in verse 8, it says about Jesus, He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so the point is that God is one God, existing in three persons. And Jesus Christ is the second person of this Godhead. In other words, this is speaking of God's transcendence. That He's far above the world, the earth, the heavens and the earth. That he's created. And so Jesus then is not only the baby that was in the manger, he's the God of creation. You need to know this and understand it. And all men need to hear this. Because the picture that many have of Jesus is the picture that comes on a Christmas card. Not that He is God in the flesh. Well, have you ever wondered why John starts by saying, in the beginning was the Word? Why does he call Jesus the Word? I mean, in the first chapter, he's called the Word, the Light, the Flesh, the Begotten Son, the Christ, the Lamb of God, the Prophet, the Son of God, Rabbi, Messiah, Christ Jesus. Why does John start off by calling Him the Word? Well, that leads us to the third and last point. We'll talk now about the Word in relation to you. The Word in relation to me and all men. Why is He called the Word? Some note that the logos, that's the Greek word for word. We talk about logic and things like that. and That's because that Greek word is behind the word logic. But some note that there is this whole Greek discussion about the logos, its eternality and all of that. So maybe John chose the logos for that reason. It could be, but I think there's another reason. I think it's because of the Old Testament and what we've already alluded to this morning. I mean, think about it. Think about the idea of the word. To speak a word is to convey one's thoughts, one's intent, one's purpose. 
You know, even Jesus would say in Matthew 13, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Now for us, that means many times something foolish. But for God, it's always wisdom. It's always truth. He's the God who cannot lie. And He is the God who speaks. And so this word, this concept of the spoken word and the word revealed refers again to the self-revelation of God. God is revealing Himself through this word. In the beginning it was that He's the Creator. That all things come from Him. And remember that He's sovereign over His creation. He has the right over His creation. But not only that, God is revealing Himself in the Gospels as our Savior. Remember in the Old Testament, after the fall, God began to gather a people for Himself through the patriarchs, and then the prophets come. And so by the time, you know, even after David conquered the land, um, there are the major prophets, we talk about them. Jeremiah, Jeremiah 1.4, it says, The word of the Lord came to me, that's, that's Jeremiah speaking. And then a little after that, in chapter 2, in verse 5, he goes out and he's preaching, he says, Thus says the Lord. So the prophets reveal the word of God. Um, there's an interesting passage, by the way, in Proverbs chapter 8. Because uh, Proverbs is about wisdom. And in Proverbs chapter 8, we have wisdom crying out, speaking out. We have wisdom personified. In verse 15, it says, By me kings reign and rulers decree justice. In verse 22 of Proverbs 8, it says, The Lord possessed me at the beginning of His way before His works of old. I have been established from everlasting, from the beginning, before there was ever an earth. He was there. It says in verse 27, when He prepared the heavens, I was there. When He drew a circle on the face of the deep, when He established the clouds, when He strengthened the fountains of the deep. It just goes on. So who is wisdom personified? It's the Word. It's Christ Jesus Himself. The Word becomes flesh here in John chapter 1. And so as Hebrews 1 puts it in verse 1, God who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets has in these last days spoken to us by His Son whom He has appointed heir of all things through whom also He made the worlds. We talk about the Lord Jesus Christ in His threefold office as our Redeemer. He's the prophet, the priest, and the king. He reveals as prophet. He reveals the will of God to us for our salvation. Now in verses 4 and 5, when we think about this word, John tells us why it is that He came. And verse 4, He says, In Him was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not 
comprehend or overcome it is another translation. And so Jesus not only reveals the way of salvation, He is the one who will provide the way of salvation. He calls Jesus here in verse 4, in Him was life. He says that there's life in Him. This is that word zoe, which refers to spiritual life. He not only gives us physical life, as one said, uh, the only reason there's life in the creation is because of the life in the world. But when we come into this world, we come into this world dead and dying. Ephesians 2 says, you who were dead in your trespasses and sins. We come into this world spiritually dead and physically dying. I mean, we grow, but our day is numbered, isn't it? It's appointed once and two man to die. And after this, the judgment, Hebrews says. But Jesus came to give us life. In Him was life, and the life was the life of men. Jesus will mention this. He'll talk about the life, won't He, in John. He'll talk about the life. He'll say, I am the resurrection and the life. As He raises Lazarus from the dead. And so Christ then is our only hope. John is getting us ready to see that. What does it mean here when He says in Him was the light of men? Well, if you're in the dark, which is the absence of light, when someone turns on the light, you can see, you can go the right way, you can prevent yourself from stumbling, as so many of us do now when we're older and have to get up in the middle of the night, And you trip in the dark because you don't want to turn on the lights to wake someone else up. But the light illumines. It gives us understanding. And so in Him is the light of men. This is generally the case for just common knowledge. In Psalm 33 and verse 6, the psalmist says to God, In your light, we see light. So understanding comes from God. But in Isaiah 9.2, speaking about the Messiah, Jesus the Christ, it prophesied this, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. And so in Scripture, the darkness becomes the realm of evil, the place where the blind live, And where is it that they live? They live in the land of the shadow of death. They're about to die because they're in the darkness. They've been cut off. They've been separated from their God because of their sins. This was true of you. It was true of me before we came to Christ. And if you're not in Christ, it is still true of you. You're in the darkness. So Jesus comes on the scene. He gives life. He gives light. He makes the blind to see. And there are people in the darkness today. The darkness is no fun. The darkness is the place of evil. It is the realm of Satan. It is for those who are under his control. It is a place that always, always leaves you empty and going back for more. Christ comes and says, not only do I have light, I have life. I even have water. 
If you drink from the water I give, you will never thirst again. In John chapter 4. And so Jesus comes to shine the light. Remember in Acts 17, the Apostle Paul is preaching to the Greeks who, although they are philosophers and uh, have written their philosophical dissertations and meet at the Areopagus as part of the Areopagus and contemplate philosophy all day, Paul comes up and he says, you're close, you're not far. But as Jesus puts it in Luke's Gospel, that distance from God is a great chasm. The rich man and Lazarus, hell. And so Paul talks about men who are groping in the dark, trying to find God. And he is there presenting Christ, presenting the true light of the world. In Ephesians 2.17, we learn how it is, again, that the light comes into the world. So there are the Ephesians. They were not Jewish people. They were not in Palestine. They were in Ephesus. Paul says to the church there, He, Jesus, in Ephesians 2.17, Jesus came and preached peace to you who were far off and to those who were near. Well, how did Christ come to the Ephesians and preach to them? Through His preachers. Through the Gospel. Do you understand the implication of that? The world even coming, lives in the darkness. They need to see the light. How would they see the light of Christ? Not only through your life, Matthew 5 tells us, you alone are the light of the world, but through the preaching and teaching and telling and living of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And so what John is doing, he's preparing us for the new creation. The arrival, the announcement of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. He's preparing us to hear the message of Christ. You see, just as Jesus was present in the first creation and active in the first creation, so too is He present and active in the new creation. Just as Jesus was instrumental in giving life at the first creation, so too is He instrumental in giving life for the new creation. And in order to receive, for us to receive the life of the new creation, He had to die so that we might live. And so John shows us the glorious way. Jesus Himself is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through Him. And beloved, this means that this transcendent God who is so far above the heavens and the earth that He has created has come down. He has condescended to our level and taken upon Himself human flesh so that He might not only be our Creator but also be our Redeemer and our Savior. And so, as we think about this, Let us see Jesus for who He is. The Lord of heaven and earth. The Creator God. The second person of the Trinity. Let us not see Jesus as the cults do, as the Mormons do, as the Jehovah's Witnesses 
and others do, saying that, well, he was created by another God some other time and place. No, he is eternal. And let our confession be that Jesus is God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father by whom all things were made. And as such, let us embrace Him as our Savior. The light that through the Gospel message has shined in the darkness and even in the darkness of our own hearts and given us new life. And may our prayer be that as we go through John's Gospel, that our confession will be the confession of doubting Thomas at the end. When he looks at Christ and he says, My Lord and my God. Amen? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we confess our need for life, for light. We come into this world dead in our sins and trespasses, stubborn, to the truth that You do give to us, darkened in our understanding. But You so graciously, mercifully, lovingly, and powerfully have given us the light of Christ through Your Gospel. We pray that You would bless our journey through this Gospel of John. We pray that you would bring true revival to our own hearts. We pray that you would convert others who have not come to him savingly. And Lord, that you would add to our number. But most of all, that you would receive the glory. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.